For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac. This is Max Howard. I have an English accent, but I really live in America, and that's where I come from. And I'm on The Geek Show. show outside the government beyond the police the 21st century is where it all changes and you've got to have a good dial-up connection to get there this is dial up dial up yeah i'd want to include you as well with your archaic everything oi i know my <laughs> i know my web name is archaeon but that's going a bit too far mate. is that where that comes from ah. no it actually comes it's a type of bacteria not anymore <laughs> As you may be able to tell, good evening, it is The Geek Show. Uh, I'm Harry, I'm back from London Expo. I've fought off the Expo flu with a lot of chicken soup hooked up to an IV. Uh, and so I'm here, and we're here, of course, with uh, our anime critic, Rob. Hey, Rob, how's it hey, going? Hey, how are you doing? Good. Tired, but good. Ah, how is everyone out there in Radioland? <laughs> uh, hey, Emiko-chan, how are you doing? Uh, Nick's on as well. How are you doing, Nick? Um, we've got a fair few listeners on. Okay. I sent Nick a cheeky reminder. He, uh, he tweeted out uh, he doesn't want to miss the Geek Show today, so I tweeted him back from the show account, kind of saying, uh, just a reminder from the Geek Show itself. If you want. Which I, I think would be, I think that's pretty cool. I don't want to be invasive, though. If you, if you don't want me suddenly stalking you on Twitter like that, uh, well, A, don't use a hashtag, and B, do let me know. <laughs> Harry's good at stalking, just so you know. I'm not. Jeff and Tab. <laughs> okay, the fact that I shared a hotel room and stock table with Tab Kimpton this time does not mean anything about stalking potentials. We are friends. That is, a, that is how it goes. Yes, uh, on the website uh, you'll find all sorts of stuff. Um, I've recently had the chance to finish off a few more reviews. There's more in the pipeline. Oh, God, uh, yeah. What was it? Fate Zero, the second uh, season. Yes. Second season. People were eager for that one. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think you put that up on your birthday as well. Happy yes, birthday to Rob. Yes, I did. I, I was, uh, <laughs> I'm officially a codger. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm officially a codger. Uh, <laughs> we are missing a few people today, and, uh, but we are we are subject to a bit of a day change. Yeah, we're on uh, a, this uh, new We'll get it all someday. sorted. Yeah. Uh, top of the page is a uh, review I posted yesterday for Shining Hearts, The Bread of Happiness. <laughs> it's it's a strange title, that one. It's a Sega game. It's, a, it's part oh, of the it's Shining a anime, franchise. It's a game adaptation. It's a game adaptation. It's part of the Shining franchise. Mm. Shining franchise is the biggest mm-hmm. RPG franchise in the world. Seriously? Yeah. 30, how have I not, how have I not heard of it until now? 30 games. 
Jesus. Oh, wait, no, you mean biggest in terms of games put out? Yes. Okay, that's different to, like, most popular or best grossing. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I was uh, going to Well, say. actually, in total, Shining probably out, uh, outgrosses most of them. True, it with probably the, does. With the cumulative of uh, 30 games. Um, 29th game, Shining Hearts, uh, The Bread of Happiness, got mm-hmm. co- was out on the PSP. And it got made into an anime. It wasn't a good show. <laughs> it just sounds like they ran out of titles. It wasn't a good show. Oh, God, we're at 29. What, what's left? Okay, just look around the room. Name an emotion and an object. Okay. Breads of happiness. All right, next one we got Shiny Hearts, that's 30. Oh, God, the, the fork of joy. All right. Well, let's put it this way, right? Um, there's another show uh, called Yakitate Japan, which is all oh, about yeah, bread love, and bread making. I know that one. I it love ha- it, actually. Yes, it has more depth mm. than Shining Hearts. Depth is not one of the major themes exactly. in Yakutaka Japan. It's Afros mainly, is a good theme. In yeah, Yakutaka. Afros, bread, and... Reactions. Random shirtless men as well. Yeah. Who are bakers. Manly it's a, it's bakers. A, it's, a, it's, a, it's a super-powered shonen about making bread. If I, you've never seen Yakutaka, <laughs> Yakutate Japan, you haven't lived. I actually hardly recommend it. It's, it's really interesting going to like the science of bread and stuff, but we're being distracted. Yes, Sorry. we're being distracted. We are actually here for the MC special on MCM uh, October yes. London Expo coverage. Uh, uh, do you uh, know what? They should merge MCM Expo with Oktoberfest. That would be amazing. Wow, that was... <laughs> that, oh, so many possibilities. Oh, the carnage. I'm, uh, the cosplay carnage. Kida Con will be sad I didn't get there first, to be honest. Yeah, the cosplay carnage. It would be. It would be amazing. <laughs> oh, there were some good ones this year. Some. Ah, uh, oh, there was a brilliant one. Have you seen the Who Won Euro cosplay this year? No, I didn't. Oh, it was a guy from Poland, I think. Uh, I'd have to check that, but it's 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 on the Euro cosplay's Facebook page, and I put it on ours as well. Uh, it's a guy who dressed up as Skull Kid from Majora's Mask, and he had like a massive Majora's Mask as well that could you put in front of his face with the eyes that lit up. It was just. Oh, the eyes. Yeah, the wood mask he had on him was perfect. It was brilliant. Uh, also saw some great cosplay out there. Avison, uh, the angel from Avison Restored, the Magic the Gathering set, with full-on wings made of feathers were fantastic. And there was a guy going around as No-Face from Spirited Away. And he's really tall. And he just kind of crouched down for a while. And if people look at him, he would suddenly rear himself to full height and then walk forward like No-Face and with black-gloved hands give them, like, sweets. Just gonna do the do the thing that uh, that sounds uh, that sounds uh, very very wrong. It was creepy as hell. I'm not surprised. <laughs> he leaned over the whole table to get right in my face. It was impressive. In your face with his giant right, face. Anyway, mask. we've we're rambling now. Let we don't have a news jingle, but we and we're not even going to attempt it. News. <laughs> there we close enough. That will do. Uh, <laughs> obviously, our lead story has to be Yoda versus Mickey. Yes, as everyone is probably aware by now, because uh, it happened... Well, because it's just a, such a big story. Every, yeah. Mainstream media was on this immediately. Uh, Disney have bought the rights to uh, Lucasfilm. Is it Lucasfilm that they've got bought specifically? Lucasfilm or? they've bought specifically, mm-hmm. yes. Okay. Um, and immediately and... announced Star Wars Episode Seven. Right. I don't mind the fact that they've announced Episode Seven, Mm-mm. as long as they stick to the actual Episode Seven that is in my head. As long as they hire you to be a director. No, no, no. Because (laughs) in actuality, there is a a follow-on from Return of the Jedi. There's there's actually two. There was the Heir to the Empire trilogy, Mm -hmm. which is where um, Grand Admiral Thrawn takes control of the Empire Mm -hmm. and systematically crushes the rebellion. Ooh. Yeah. It was a trilogy of books by... uh, Who was it? I think it was... Was it Roger Zelazny? I can't remember who it was by. I'll see if I can find out. Uh, It was a trilogy of books... 
that w- that came out uh, during the mid nineties. Hmm. I don't know. I know there are a lot of Star Wars books as well. I know R. A. Salvatore actually wrote one of them. Uh, the guy who wrote no, Lord it was Timothy Priest. Zahn. Sorry, Timothy Zahn wrote at the end of the Empire trilogy. Okay. And then after that, there was mm-hmm. uh, there was two graphic novels and one comic, mm-hmm. not three graphic novels, called Dark Empire, which tells the story of how the Emperor actually dies, Ooh. how they finally kill him. Cool. And I've got that. I was lucky oh, yes. enough to find it. That's an interesting one. I mean, the the internet's opinion. If they do been... that, <laughs> if they do Edge of the Empire and Dark Empire, mm-hmm. I will be happy. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if they do them well. If they do anything else that involves Jar Jar Binks, yeah, I think he should be perma banned from these films at this point. Hopefully, they'll actually listen to people, unlike Treyarch. Uh, yes. Quick hello to uh, Belsamail. Uh, yes, uh, Sunday. Sunday is uh, apparently more people are free to listen on a Sunday. Yeah, we know a lot of people who weren't able to come or who were busy with work and have to rush back. Yes. I mean, this this frees me up a lot because this means that now on Mondays I can go to the Chaos Comics live stream without any hindrance. So it's good for me. I, I don't know about you guys. I'm hoping it goes well. Do let us know what you think of the time change. Yes. Uh, email us at studio at the Geek Show. Or you can... Uh, tweet us or shout, uh, shout at us on the shout box. That's yes. what the shout box is for. Tweet us at with us. hashtag the Geek Show and then tell us via the shout box on the main website yes. page. Um, the there, is, there is one other thing that I want to share with everybody, though. Oh, dear. And it's an interesting little... Uh, do you remember the Taiwanese have this habit of... Making CG cartoons of popular news stories. Yeah, like when they made a strange LSD trip type thing about Bill Gates dying, or yes. when there was a story of Gordon Brown maybe being abusive towards a secretary, and they just showed full-on anime of him punching the, some woman. And Steve Jobs hit uh, punching the guy. Oh, yes, the, not Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, sorry. Yeah, with, with the uh, fruit yeah. juice cancer. They're, they're very keen on that. Yeah. An interpretive view of the news. I've just popped one into the shout box. Take a look at it. Uh, after take a look at it when you get a chance. It, it's pretty. I good. thought I thought it was <laughs> I thought it was just a little bit wrong, but very very funny. Wrong, but so right. Yes, wrong, but so right. The best uh, opinion, basically, on the whole Star Wars thing has been divided between the people who, like my initial reaction, went "Ugh, let it die," and the people who realize that this is actually a Star Wars film that George Lucas has absolutely no input on. Which is interesting, because, you know, he's largely blamed for the reason things went bad, because in the earlier stages, people could, you know, uh, differ opinions with him, and they'd discuss it and make the films good. Yeah. And then in the later film stages, basically, do whatever he wanted, which was usually boring or counterintuitive or going back and editing his old films to make them less interesting yeah, or more Yeah, I mean, blatant. part of the problem with that... Um, it's an unfortunate thing, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. Part of the problem with the whole, with the first three Star Wars movies versus the other three that came out afterwards, mm-hmm. uh, we'll call them the other three. Mm-hmm. Part of the problem is that society has changed. It's a lot more PC. See, the thing is, they got a lot. Mm-hmm. They, in the original three Star Wars movies when they came out, they got away with all sorts. That you would not, be, that you just wouldn't get away with now. True, true, especially in a kids' film. Yeah, especially in a kids' film. Because I don't know if anyone saw the advertisements for the Phantom Menace in 3D. It, they, they see it as a kids' film, okay? Yeah, outrightly. Which is which is one of the main problems because the studio obviously it's got to make money, mm-hmm. and the people who are backing the film are putting pressure on the director and producers mm-hmm. to make the kind of film that maybe they don't want to make. Hmm. I'm sure if George Lucas was honest about it, he'd actually say 
that The Phantom Menace was not the film he wanted to make. Yeah. I, it, 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 it's, in my opinion, it's Highlander 2, mm. right? You take something really, really mystical and magical, and then you say, they're aliens. Yeah, although that has the <laughs> Highlander thing as well. This yeah. is why... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if anyone else listens to the Lovely Rainy Run podcast, but I've heard that moment when you look at something from your childhood and realise it was terrible all along is referred to as the quickening. Yes. Uh, for reasons based on Highlander. Highlander 2, in particular. Exactly. Not, for, not from Highlander, but Highlander 2. Anyway, moving, moving on, on with the news. Yes, sorry. Yes, Apple must be nice to Samsung. <laughs> <laughs> is that what the court ruled? Uh, right. You know the UK Court of Appeal, right? It's challenged Apple over the world. You know Apple had to make a make mm. a statement, yeah, yeah. Uh, publish adverts, and make a statement on their website saying Samsung haven't copied with copied us, yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. The UK Court of Appeal have challenged Apple over the wording of the of the statement on its site that told visitors that despite similarities, Samsung Gal- Samsung's Galaxy tablet did not fr- infringe its design. Um, you know, uh, Judge Colin Briss uh, ruled earlier this year, uh, it ruled in July that the products was very, very similar, but Apple didn't, but Samsung didn't have the same understated and extreme simplicity and weren't as cool, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not being as cool is a crime now. Yes. Oh, God. Now, <laughs> oh, it's a pardoning from a crime, I suppose. The thing is, Apple put a, placed a text post on its site, uh, basically, uh, the way it was worded was totally unapologetic, mm-hmm. right? And the UK Court of Appeals has now told Apple off for doing that and said, <laughs> no, you have to actually say sorry. God damn it. This court thing happened in Japan and in America, and the American one was chosen because Apple are American. But for England to come in from the side and kind of go, I know you just won the case, but you're not being very polite there. Be civil. No, it's no, just, Apple didn't it's win the British case. Thing. This is the thing. Oh, no, yeah, they lost, of course. It just seems... So British to kind of come in and say, I do say, Timothy, be nice to your brother. It, it, I mean, it just goes to show that uh, the difference in legal systems and, you know, perception about particular companies. Apple's an American company, Samsung isn't, which is why in the American courts, hmm. Apple won. But everywhere else in the world, they didn't. You know, they, drew, yeah. they either drew or lost. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Asteroids versus paintballs. There's a lot of verses today. Asteroids versus paintballs is a brilliant idea. That, I, ha, what? Tell me, what's this? Right, uh, an MIT graduate, uh, grad student called uh, Song Wukpaik, uh, who's in the Department of Aeronautics and Astro- uh, Astronautics, mm. has won the UN's 2012 Move an Asteroid Technical Paper Competition. The Move with, an Asteroid Yeah, competition. with this really clever idea to deflect asteroids. The idea is to, vo- uh, is to fire two volleys of pellets filled with white paint powder launched from a nearby spaceship, and cover the surface of the asteroid. The force of the pellets hitting the asteroid would push the asteroid off its initial course. Then fire a second volley towards the now white surface, which offers more than double the reflecting power of of the asteroid. Um, Sorry, secondly, the now white surface would uh, offer more than double the reflecting power of the asteroid, which is called its albedo. Mm -hmm. The increased albedo would mean that over a number of years, solar radiation pressure, the force exerted by the sun's photons bouncing off the surface, would nudge nudge the asteroid even further off its original path. Ah. Now, this is a brilliant idea. 
It is because basically, I saw a documentary on like uh, preventing asteroid and meteor strikes, and the whole thing is that if you like fire a missile at it, oh, well done you! But you now you've got a load of tiny ones to deal with. If you don't get them under a certain size, then they won't burn up on reentry, and they'll just just smash the planet in more ways. See, the thing it's is, the thing about with this the missiles, plan, right? Yeah. With mm-hmm. the missiles, the trick isn't to fire the missile at the asteroid. Mm-hmm. The the trick is to detonate the missile. Just before it hits the asteroid. Yeah, the trick is not to actually the shock wave, the asteroid, but to move it off course. Yes, yeah, the shockwave is what pushes the asteroid mm. off course. Now, this is why I, this is why whenever you see it in comics, you're like, no, fire missiles at the asteroid, and then you watch like Armageddon and stuff like that. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, like mm-hmm. that's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it ruins that film a little. No, it's still cool. Uh, yeah, deep impact. Yeah, so this, this Next president of the U.S. is going to be Morgan Freeman. <laughs> If he ran, you saw him with Arnie. Oh, if, been, if he ran for president, he'd probably do okay. He's been the president once and he's been God twice. <laughs> he, uh, he, he satisfies even the Bible Belt. <laughs> true, he could well try it. But yeah, uh, using something as delicate as paint powder is a really clever idea. So Nick, I what? just want to say, I have no idea what portal fluids are and I'm hoping you don't explain that oh, to Oh wait, me. hang on, I know this one. Uh, really? Portal fluids? Yeah. Why are you thinking portal fluids? Uh, because the white gel is something that you could probably this spray an asteroid so- as well. This is sounding very wrong. <laughs> In Portal 2, an additional uh, gameplay element is they add gels. Uh, orange ones are, are bouncy. Blue ones you speed up on if you go there. Or ah, the right, around, yes. Correct me. I yes. think it's the other way around, actually. And white ones uh, you can actually put portals on, regardless ah, of what surface they touch. right. Okay. Which anyway. means that the white portal gel will be useless because putting a portal on the surface of a thing moving towards you will nullify the portal. Yes. Ah, play your games. Yes. Uh, anyway, according to uh, Peg's proposal, a 27 gigaton asteroid could be successfully de- deflected using just five tons of paint. <laughs> now, that is an impressive number. How do you measure number. 27 gigatons? That's an impressive number. I've got to say, well done, Mr. Peg. You deserve that award. <laughs> I don't even want to know what kind of calculations he went through. It, it must have been computer simulated because you don't just like put a bag of flour on a weighing scale and say, okay, it could deflect this. Yeah. Could it deflect it with like a tenth of the power, a one trillionth of the power? That totally works for asteroid calculations. Uh, yeah. Anyway, moving on. Power rocking. And no, I don't mean like hair metal or, you know, uh, Dragon Force or Galnarius or anyone like that. No power rocking in the house tonight? No, no, no. This is a power generated, generating rocking chair. <laughs> 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 An electric rocking chair, is that it, what you mean? No, no, it generates power when you rock. <laughs> <laughs> they put a dynamo in it? Yes. <laughs> That's genius. Harness the power of old ladies. This, this is brilliant. Uh, Zurich-based design company Mikasa Lab is developing a power-generating rocking chair which charges your iPad as you rock. <laughs> <laughs> this is brilliant. <laughs> Finally, old people's homes will have like an amazing use to service the community. <laughs> the company's hand-built iRock <laughs> chair is a modern take on traditional furniture which aims to harness the kinetic energy involved in rocking and put it to use recharging Apple devices. The next step up from this, I suppose, would be to go to secondary schools and uh, make these spinny computer chairs also dynamo if you spun a chair around. thing is, it's not very efficient at the moment. Uh, IROC is in a, uh, this is what they say. IROC is a, is an attempt to collect some of this energy and put it to real use. But if you use IROC for sixty minutes, you can recharge your iPad three to thirty five percent. That's pretty good, actually, for sixty minutes of rocking. But the thing is, 
after 60 minutes of rocking, even the most hardened stomach is going to start feeling a bit seasick. Yeah. The question then is, how many olden people does it take to charge a light bulb? <laughs> I reckon, like, three if they keep going at it. Yeah. Or, like, if, you know, you need to power, like, the ovens or something inside the old people's home, you just drop the base, granny rockers in the house tonight, and then <laughs> see how far they can go. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's still under development, but the company's put a tentative price tag on it of 1,300 euros, which is 1,040 pounds. Oh, my God. You are, you are having a, uh, you're having a laugh, mate. Seriously. We could, yeah, we could probably figure out something with a regular dynamo and some salad tape that would work to a similar extent. Yes. Yeah, keep, keep it cheap, guys. Keep it cheap. These yes. old people's homes. Nick says he was talking about the orange gel. Okay. Yes. So let's see. Anyway. The orange is the speedy gel, I believe. So that would make it worse. It would come faster. Wait, there's no friction in space. I don't know what you're playing at, Nick, but it worries me. We need a be- we need a physics here. We need we need physics here. We need Becca. Um, <laughs> Becca, wherever you are, we need you. Physics is something. Um, moving on, the robot revolution, racing against people. Human edges out robot on ca- uh, robot car on racetrack. Thunderhill Raceway in California, an Audi TTS that can drive itself versus uh, versus a race car driver who's familiar with the track. And the human driver only beat the uh, self-drive car by a few seconds. Yay! Humans are still winning, but not by much these days. Yeah, it's just getting you a little bit closer. Yes, getting a little bit closer. I mean, uh, the car is called Shelley. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, Shelley, the car of doom. Yeah. I mean, it, it can drive itself. What next? Tanks that drive themselves. Planes that fly themselves. We've already got drones. Next thing you know, there'll be some kid, 14-year-old, thinking he's playing, like, Call of Duty or something like that when he's not. He's actually fighting a war somewhere in the world. That's actually just the plot of the film Toys, starring Robin Williams. It is. Yeah. That's scary how true it is. Yeah, it's scary when Toys gets brought up at all, because that film's direction was terrible. Yes, I know. Anyway, moving on. WTF Award, and this is actually a a positive WTF Award for a change. An elephant called Koshik speaks Korean. Fluently? Only five words. Only five words. The way it does it, it's, it's really weird. Are they, are they a sentence? Or are they like no, no, it's five specific words okay. that it can speak. The way, uh, the way it does it, it takes its trunk, mm-hmm. shoves its trunk in its mouth, because the trunk is, uh, is the evolution of its lips. Oh, of course. It shoves the trunk in its mouth and then makes these words. It can say anja, which is sit down, mm-hmm. nuo, which is lie down, mm-hmm. choa, which is good, and ania, which is no. And huh. there was another word it could say, but it doesn't list it here. Um, it's the fifth word, maybe a swear. Oh, and it also says "anyong," "anyong," which is uh, the Korean word for hello. Huh. Yeah, the twenty. It's the elephant's twenty-two years old, and apparently these are very, very specific words. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, just something that That's someone's cool. misheard. So this elephant has been taught to use the words that its trainers would use to discipline it, so that it can discipline its own trainers. Well, it picked them up over 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 the years. Oh, it's just kind of learned and then started repeating. Yeah, they didn't actually teach it. Ah, oh, parrot uh, style. Just yeah. took a long time. Apparently, uh, it also happens in the wild as well, <laughs> which is really weird. So, you know, you might be thinking you're hearing a parrot going, uh, going, you know, give me some toast or something like that, <laughs> but it might be an elephant. Be careful <laughs> when you're in the wild. That is... That is beautifully ridiculous. It uh, is, it that, is. That's a fun WTF. It's not murdering yes, anyone this time. <laughs> but yeah, 
It's oh. it's it's an odd one, and I'd love to see that elephant in real life saying all sorts. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> anyway, we're going to take a break there. We'll mo- uh, we'll be back with the MCM Expo special where we're talking all about Expo first. Mm-hmm. We'll be back once I get my switches right. Back in a bit. Hi, this is Private Dick Simmons from the popular web series Red vs. Blue, and you're listening to The Geek Show. Sarge approved. And welcome back to The Geek Show, as Rooster Teeth did say. Also, cool thing, uh, <laughs> you know how there's been some doubt about Halo 4? Halo 4. Yeah. Basically, there was two queues at Expo, because there was a massive Halo 4 booth where you could play Halo 4. And there was a, there was a small Rooster Teeth booth. Uh, where basically they were giving away T-shirts. They actually had their merchandise this year. I don't know if you remember from the last show, but they had a shipping error, and they couldn't get it all in time. But they had DVDs and merchandise and big uh, plushy griff balls, which we'll have to give away in a different week. Uh, what I loved was that the Rooster Teeth queue was so much longer. <laughs> it was huge compared to the Halo 4 queue, and that, that just tickled my funny That's bone. because it's Halo 4. It's Halo, first-person shooter. I know, and it's like... Boring, it, boring. It made me feel like they were boring. more proper-like. Proper-like. Proper proper, it proper, were proper-like. It were proper-geeky-like. <laughs> no, that's worse. I've been watching Headburn recently. Anyone who's not been watching Headburn on the BBC, it is a brilliant show, and I know the comedian who makes it, Jason Cook. He's a brilliant guy, very fun, uh, and it's a hilarious series, very northern. Yes. Uh, Nick, that track was called Shuriken, by an artist called Madian, spelled yeah. M-A-D-E-O-N. I, French, I think he is. Uh, and, yes, I think so. And I like that a lot better than Levels, his previous thing, partly because it was also Avicii and it kind of mixed it up and it was confusing. Yeah. And Flo uh, Rida. No, it was, was it Avicii with Levels? Avicii was Levels. I Avicii think. with Levels and then it got mixed in with Flo Rida. Madian yeah. did something else. Madian did Pop Culture, ah. which is where he did, took 39 tracks and mixed them all together. Sweet. Yeah, it was a really it, good it track. It was cool. Yeah, I, I like a bit of Madian. Uh, although recently I bought... Uh, Pink's two latest albums, and they've been helping me get through a lot of work. They're just pounding anthems. Sorry, London Expo. Yes! <laughs> uh, there was a lot of new things this year. I don't know uh, if people remember, previously on London Expo, uh, they, managed to, they managed to completely fill capacity. They had to stop letting people in after a certain point due to fire regulations. Yeah. And so they had to stop and let people out and they let people in. So Expo this year bought some additional rooms to make the Expo Hall longer. Uh, and rather than cram it with even more dealers, because that's usually a problem, Expo is on the Saturday being able to move, there's, there's just these, like, two additional building sections where there's just, like, food and tables, and, like, there's Japanese and Chinese food on offer, and, like, lots of the UK garrison and MCM memorabilia places got, like, just displays to put up. Like, there was tables covered in heads and helmets from old TV and films. And the f- great thing is that... Like at SunnyCon, there was now this area where you could sit down and relax. And because it was so uncrowded, you could actually feel cooler there. Because Expo heats up because of, you know, the gathering sweat of 100 million nerds. It's also the, <laughs> it's also the reason why MCM flu is so horrible, because there's just so many people. Uh, I, think it was, I think the Americans call it nerd flu. Because there was dancing and singing and moving to the groove. <laughs> yeah, I love Play that stuff. funky music. <laughs> Ah, but yeah, that was good. Also, uh, they appear to have they appear to have fin- fully integrated uh, MCM memorabilia with MCM Expo this year. Uh, in the before, um, when they started integrating it, they did it at the same time, but in two separate building halls. Yeah. Now there's just like there was a, a Star Wars vehicle. Uh, I've not seen Star Wars. I don't stone me to death. But there was a Star Wars vehicle of some kind inside the main Expo hall, along with like was it an X-wing fighter? 
uh, it was a car-like thing. A car-like it, thing. It was it was sandy color. It was like a car, but more Star Wars, and it was on sand. And don't give me the eyes of death. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it was. Uh, I'm uncultured. Yes, you are. You're uncultured. <laughs> ah, I'm just young. Deal with it. Uh, but yeah, so they'd integrated <laughs> MCM memorabilia with that quite well. All Plus, I can say is, yes, Nick, thank you for allowing us to go on with the London Expo. <laughs> <laughs> He's just tweeted, found it, thank you, and go on with London Expo now. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for giving us permission, Nick. Excellent, let's Expo away. Yes. Uh, but yeah, since the first section, I want to talk about the games that were on display at London Expo, because yes. like... Oh, because there's a load of different companies from big and small uh, who have like massive booths like uh, XCOM and Borderlands 2, both by 2K, uh, which is a brilliant company. They also made Bioshock, as you may remember. Yes. Uh, they had like a massive open booth with just like a big dividing wall with lots of art on it. Uh, there was Xboxes where you could play a lot of uh, Borderlands 2 and there was specially designed like uh, interface systems with like joysticks and massive old consoles, uh, massive old arcade style buttons where you could play XCOM on it. And it, it just looked really cool. They were able to flavor the whole area because they were clearly all pre-made and set up. Uh, and I actually met, I think his surname is pronounced Dennis Skink, who was the producer of Civilization V. All right, yeah. Yeah. He arrived, uh, and basically I asked if he was available for interviews. He said, no, I just won a golden joystick last night, and I celebrated. I'm very tired. Please excuse me. <laughs> he... he he was lovely to talk to, though, uh, and a really nice guy. And so congratulations to, um, congratulations to 2K and to Dennis, of course, for getting the golden joystick for best strategy game. Yes. Uh, Wasn't Matt Pipe. Smith there this year? Matt Smith was indeed one of the main guests this year, probably the main guest. He was only there on the Friday, hmm. which is an interesting experiment to see how much more people would come. Because like, uh, for those who haven't been, Friday at MCM Expo is half a day, the latter half of the day only. It's more for like dealers setting up the tables. It's called the build-up. And usually you can get a weekend pass and it doesn't include it. Uh, this was an interesting way of seeing if more people would come along. And the answer is yes. But the massive amorphous mass of people shuffled into the uh, area where Matt Smith was going to be Every and then shuffled I'm out shuffling. once again. <laughs> I was uh, interviewing the cast of Cockneys vs. Zombies, interviewed for that later at the time. And so I was above the MCM hall being able to look down from one of the windows at the Matt Smith panel. Uh, where it was him and the director, I think, or the producer of the latest series of Doctor Who. And it was just a sea of people with phones. It actually looked like he was looking out into stars. It was quite cool uh, because it was very dark in the room. But, yeah, they were screaming. They were rabid fan people. I was kind of happy not to be in the Q&A, to be honest. Uh, I didn't get to interview Matt Smith, of course, because the BBC is very secretive and careful not to give away spoilers on these type of things. But one day, who knows? Fingers crossed, one day. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, I met a load of really cool people, re-met with a lot of really cool people. Uh, our friends Maya Mada had a lot of re- new news to talk about. They'll be interviewed with them later in the show. Uh, and I interviewed the people who are going to be uh, talking later in the... We'll have an interview with later in the show. Mediatonic, who some of you may know for making a lot of really good Xbox Live Arcade games. Uh, basically, the thing about Exabla is that not massive companies, not AAA title companies, even if, were, even if they get really big like Explosion Man did, and I think the Expo is a great setting for them because unlike the XCOM booth or the Assassin's Creed booth where they just kind of let people loose and allow them to play the games and just watch them a bit and gave away a few prizes, yeah. uh, the, the Mediatonic guys were able to like stand by their two big consoles. They had Xboxes ready and waiting to play the game and just talk to people about the game and the topics involved. And that There was more people than there were consoles. And so it was a great way to like discuss with people the process of making the game. 
And all the people who were there from Mediatonic weren't like, you know, uh, booth babes or booth like minders, minder men. Uh, they were actually people involved with the creation of it. I talked to uh, an artist, an asset creator first, and then for the interview I spoke to uh, the producer. And it was just a really nice experience having the people who helped make the game talk to you about the game while you played it. And Okay. Yeah, I and I really think that it was. It's great that there was Assassin's Creed there. We have an interview with the lead games designer of Assassin's Creed Stephen Three, Stephen Masters, uh, coming up. But for smaller India game titles, I think that MCM is a fantastic place to go to because you just get to chat and like fully discuss what the game is about. Whew, need to pause for breath. Pause uh, for breath. Yes. Whereas some other booths were less manned, like there was Fable The Journey. I don't know if you know that one. It's a Kinect title. Ah, uh, uh, yes. That had two Kinects you could play on, one person at a time, completely and totally unmanned. Uh, I think one person comes around every now and again to tell people to get off and let the next guy have a chance to play. It looked odd. Uh, yes. And it was weird not being able to talk to people, and so I kind of just left it and didn't play it. No. Uh, I, I had a lot of stuff to do. It's MCM. I wanted to play Borderlands. <laughs> so you know i prioritized this thing happens i was the only one of on the show who was at mcm for the whole thing phil arrived on the sunday and gave me more business cards thank thank all kinds of things for that uh but yeah i think the expo is a great place to show off games and it was a uh, it was really fun talking to people who were actually involved in making the game and trying to help show their baby into the world before it's been released uh, and, and the Persona 4. Oh, Persona 4 The Golden had a booth. And there was lots of people from NS America. And they were wearing pretty hats and hoodies. And it was so cool. Because uh, they had massive beanbag chairs. And I got to play Persona 4 The Golden. Uh, long before it comes out in February for PS Vita. So uh, that was pretty awesome. Okay. <sighs> Sorry, I need to remember to breathe every now and again. I'm just kind of fanboying. Uh, the steampunk section got bigger this year. Yes, <laughs> Jeff had his literary review too. Yes, which he gave me a review copy of. <laughs> <laughs> review copy. Yeah. How does that work? A review copy of the Steampunk Literary Review, so I can review the review that fakely reviews uh, non-existent Steampunk titles. And four this year, it's gone up. Last time it was three titles they actually reviewed. This year it's four genuine Steampunk publications, right? Including if Robert you got, book. If any of you out in Radio Land actually understood any of that, please explain it. <laughs> I'm reviewing a. Re- I think we've gone a bit meta. I'm reviewing a review written by uh, a member. And oh, congratulations, Jeff! He is now actually uh, a fellow of the Victoria Steampunk Society. I thought you were going to say he's now actually real. <laughs> <laughs> no, I imagined him this whole time. <laughs> How would I stalk an imaginary person? Which I don't do. Uh, <laughs> God damn you! Oh, but he had some great new things because the latest issue of Fetish Man. I don't know if people know. It's the first of a two-parter, and it's the manly Vikings and. <laughs> They're just really polite uh, and just play board games. Manly board games. It sounds uh, like General Vamp. <laughs> it, it's just brilliant. And there was a new mug that I had to resist the urge to get because I had like a low budget. Uh, but I think I'll have to get it next time, which is uh, it's three panels of Vikings in a longbow ship. And it's one guy at the front says, uh, Forward Vikings, onwards to uh, borrow things and consensually have sex. And like one of the other Vikings says, uh, Carl Carlson, son, chief. Don't you mean rape and pillage? And the guy calls around and goes, you're not a nice person, are you, Dennis? <laughs> uh, uh, do you know, Pratchett had a line like that. He said, huh? uh, it was in uh, Interesting Times, mm-hmm. Cohen, who's like uh, 90-something years old, barbarian hero, mm-hmm. uh, and his silver horde, because they've all got like silver hair, because mm-hmm. they're so old, 
and he's having to tell one of them, look, I keep trying to explain it to you. It's rape the women and pillage the houses. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> wow. <that's>... Yes. <laughs> that's a fun one. But anyway. Yeah, but yeah, uh, the steampunk section's gotten bigger, and there were people selling things there this time. Uh, basically, before, it was only just a kind of view. But now, not only is Jeff a part of the steampunk section, because now he's got the steampunk, uh, lit, uh, steampunk traveling tea museum of the first tea company, which is a fake museum about fake things, including, like, there's a lump of lead, and it says, tea, brackets, unrefined. Uh, it, it's really good fun if you ever get a chance to see it. But yeah, he was there. Um, Emily Ladybird was there, showing off her corsets and her the Steampunk Emporium, which is her book telling you how to make steampunk jewellery. Uh, Robert Rankin was there. Enjoying his an- anonymity, as, as Yeah, well. he was enjoying actually not being hounded by people. Uh, so my friend uh, Colette came up to him and was like, oh my God, you're Robert Rankin. He was like, yes, last time I checked, because uh, he's like that. Um, and she discussed it, and he signed some stuff, and, and he was like, you're the first person to recognize me all day. It's very refreshing. Uh, cool. But yes, in general, there's all that stuff. Uh, we have an interview coming up and some music. And it's the interview with Stephen Masters, who is the lead game designer of Assassin's Creed 3. He was there yes. doing a talk about... Uh, S- I don't want to call it Ascreed, but I keep hearing that the shortened version, like Loading Ready Run Call, like Brotherhood, Ascreed, Brohood, which I think is just the best way of shortening. Uh, but yeah, we talked about the mechanics of Assassin's Creed 3, the differences, what you're doing. And so if you've not gotten things on the release date, because I know Assassin's Creed just came out, uh, this should provide some interesting details for you as to how the game works. Yes. In uh, the meantime, Assassin's yes, Creed. The brilliant Stephen Masters. This is the Geek Show interview with Stephen Masters. Uh, oh, what's your title again? Is it lead, lead game designer? Lead game designer. Yeah. Kind of large-standing thing. What is the, what's the role of the lead games involved? Uh, basically, I'm responsible for the fun of the game. Um, <laughs> so uh, I design the systems, the, the, what the player is going to do, what the enemies can do, the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, basically get everybody to agree to what I want to do um, and then make them build it. <laughs> Fantastic. Lord of Fun. It's a good title to have, roughly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a pretty challenging one. We have to do a lot to make sure that uh, it is actually as fun as we can make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we do a lot of playtesting. Uh, uh, we get ideas from absolutely everywhere. You know, I really encourage my team to come and talk to me and say, uh, Hey, Steve, we just tried this awesome thing out. Uh, check it out. Uh, and I'll come along and look at it and go, Hey, yeah, that is rad. We're going to do a lot of that. I'm not like the the sole source of ideas on the team or anything like that. It's uh, an immensely collaborative uh, process, uh, but we just make sure that there's as much fun as possible. Considering the constantly expanding and intricate story of Assassin's Creed, is it difficult to kind of balance the gameplay with letting the story be told? Yeah, absolutely. It's always a, a sort of a struggle between our narrative guys, our mission guys, and uh, and even me. Um uh, you know, our mission director does a lot of work with our narrative director and uh, making sure that the, the, the gameplay is going to work around the story. Um, and I'm there to make sure that like, we're going to teach as much as possible to the player inside of the story instead of just random uh, you know, tutorial missions that you have to, to do. So you know, we work really collaboratively together to make sure that everything is integrated as much as possible. And yeah, in, in a game of this size and scale, it's, it's immensely challenging. And also working within the constraints of history as well. Um, you know, we, we make sure that when a target dies, uh, that's a real person that died in that area, uh, preferably in that manner, you know. Um, 
Uh, so we, we we take a lot of care over integrating both the narrative, the gameplay, and the, uh, uh, and the history. That would be quite difficult going a research of, okay, during this time period, how many important people died of stab wounds to the neck? Yeah, that, that's why we have a historian. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> Specialized like we, in we, neck stabbings. That's it. <laughs> Uh, but we, we look for the gray areas, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, say somebody died on a battlefield, uh, ah. but we don't know precisely how he died, mm-hmm. right? Because it's not necessarily well documented. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was shot. Well, he might have been shot. He might have been stabbed. Uh, there was a hint in one of the histories that it might have been friendly fire that killed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's perfect for us, right? That that gives us a lot of latitude to go in and insert our story and tell our version of that event. Ah, the benefit of the assassinations, I suppose, is that you can have the... It can be pinned on someone. Or it can be yes. just... No one yeah, yeah. ever knows. That's precisely fantastic. it. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, changing eras and other things. Is there anything where you've gone, oh man, that weapon system was fantastic? What's like that from this period? Or you've gone, we need something completely different to this one that's a bit more fluid. Have you kind of tried to look for similarities within different uh, weapon types? Uh, yeah, you know, things like the, the pistols. Um, when we were looking at the evolution of the hidden blades, uh, we were sort of uh, worried that it was turning into a bit of a Swiss army knife, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and losing yeah. a bit of its purpose in the, in, uh, in the transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, adding things like the hidden gun onto it, uh, it, was, uh, it was fun for the gameplay, but it was starting to get a bit unwieldy. So we, we sort of dragged that back down to the basics and said, okay, it's going to be a blade again, um, but we still need pistols. Uh, so then we leaned into the history of uh, how pistols worked in the era to make sure that they were well, well balanced and integrated into the gameplay. Uh, so you know you don't have uh, uh, like a, a, a modern pistol magazine, right? You don't have twenty shots that you can fire yeah. uh, semi-automatic. Um, uh, they were doing some really crazy stuff with pistols in the era, and that allowed us to have a lot of fun with the design. You know, there's uh, double-barrel pistols that you can fire twice. Then you, you have a duck-foot pistol, which has four barrels pointing in slightly different directions. Um, uh, they all fire at the same time and has more of a chance of breaking your wrist than actually hitting your target. Um, you can see where super soakers get their ideas from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we find inspiration from the history, in this case, to, to model a weapon that we changed and sort of uh, uh, morphed its purpose from the previous games. Fantastic. I look forward to seeing them. Awesome. <laughs> thank you very much. Great, thank you. Hi, I'm Danny Raheem from Primeval New World, and you can watch us here. No, you can't. No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> Danny gets nervous with these things. <laughs> these things. I love it. Um, what He's are we doing? <laughs> You're listening to the Geek Show. Is that what we're listening to? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Danny. I I couldn't resist. Basically, the the, the cast of Primeval you, you did the, that on purpose. The cast of Primeval New World. All three of them did very professional sound bites and a very professional interview. But Danny Rahim is actually quite nervous, and I, he that was just so funny and beautiful. I just kind of had to make it as a standalone sound Danny Rahim was quite nervous. Yeah. About doing a soundbite. Not about the interview, the soundbite. Yeah, that's what I'm confused by. I know. Apparently, it's just a thing he doesn't do very well. Oh, but, but they were all lovely. The cast of Primeval, Primeval New World, uh, which is like the next stage in Primeval's evolution, uh, that's interviewed them as uh-huh. the program. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> See that? See? See what I did there. Yeah, uh, I saw what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we're in the second half of the game section, uh, wherein I will announce that in the next section we will be declaring our competition, the first competition to do with MCM Expo. Hopefully the next song, if not the next soundbite, will will give you a lead in as to what the prize bundle is. But stick around, it's in the next section. It should be good fun. Uh, we shall see. Yes. We but for now, see. a lot of different companies basically do different things with their gaming booths. 
uh, just to kind of round off the topic, like Capcom, they always have their new beat-em-ups there. And they have this setup now where they have like a boxing ring. It's like a, a big kind of foamy uh, boxing ring with pillars and chains off the side that are made of plastic to kind of keep people inside of it. And they always show their new beat-em-ups on it. And it actually works weirdly well as like insulating uh, all the Capcom violence in and of one single place yes uh so that's always fun bigger booths i've found tend to uh bigger booths uh ha ha <laughs> sorry you, ha ha. usually the general setup is for like triple a games they have a big square they said make it out of walls full of gorgeous concept art uh there's an entrance there's an exit you go in you uh play on the games you get given a thing for playing on the games and you leave uh, it depends on like which one it is as well. Like uh, for Persona Four, you got a thing for playing it. You got uh, and I, I've got. I asked them for a few spare ones to give these away. There's little pretty wristbands uh, and some Disgaea Four stickers because Nipponichi America is an uh, NAS America Nipponichi yeah. Studios. They're distributing and publishing Persona Four Golden over here because Atlas don't have a European or American branch. Uh, so it's a bit. Higgledy piggledy, but hey, I got some Disgaea stickers. That's awesome. Because, you know, Disgaea is amazing. It is. Disgaea 3 wasn't impressive. No, Disgaea 3 wasn't impressive because they rushed it to get it out as a PS3 launch title, which is why Disgaea 3 has a re-release with additional content they wanted to put in on the PS Vita. Yes, I know. Check that out. Uh... (laughs) This also Harry is busy fanboying here. A little bit. I what? got, I got to one... interview people from NAS America. Okay, this is really cool for me. This is one of the reasons why I would love to have a webcam or some <laughs> kind of video. Just cam. to watch me do the fanboy hands. Yeah, the fanboy hands. It's it, 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 right. It's kind of the opposite of jazz hands. Oh yeah, they're kind of like claws, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. claws towards yourself. It's kind of like Mr. Burns crossed with Lady Gaga. Just the knee. <laughs> yes, the claws. Excellent. Uh, but yeah, I got to interview two people from uh, NAS America. Actually, that'll be the next interview going on. Uh, but yeah, Persona 4's actual setup was different in that there was comfy chairs. Normally, you just have to stand. Uh, basically, yeah, if you go to Expo, some booths will just give things away to you for playing it. I know Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, which is, of course, a word. Uh, their booth, basically, you had to finish it or unlock certain achievements within a certain time period, your play period, in order to uh, get the gifty things. The gifty things. The gifty yes. things. Uh, and... 2K because they just had so much stuff. They uh, every hour on the hour they would just throw T-shirts out into a gathering audience of people. Yes. Uh, yeah. Do you know what they need? Hmm? Right. I saw this recently. You know the T-shirt cannons that they have in America. Oh God! Yeah. Have you seen the biggest one? It's huge. It's got like multiple barrels and this giant barrel on top, uh, right in the middle of it all. It's like, hang on. Is this like a T-shirt from minigun? A war? Yeah, it's that's, like a T-shirt minigun. That's awesome. Yeah. That's what that's what 2K need. <laughs> What's better is that Mayamada actually stored their t-shirts in cylindrical sushi tubes. <laughs> and so they could totally have like a t-shirt minigun, a t-shirt rifle for long distances. Those people are looking at rival t-shirt companies. We need the guy from the Catapult channel. <laughs> no, the Slingshot channel. We need him we, to we, make us one. A t- uh, if you're listening, man from the Slingshot tube. channel, make us one. <laughs> a sushi tube t-shirt slinger. That would be very interesting ways of advertising. Yes. Uh, oh, God. And also yeah. potentially lethal. <laughs> I've seen The Simpsons. I know what happened to Maud Flanders. Oh, Maud. We're going to kill off one of the characters. Who will it be? The one who everyone forgets even exists. Oh, poor Maud. Yes. Anyway. 
Uh, I'm sorry. We're slightly. I think we. I think we. We're having. We're having a fun one. It's. It's good. I, it's been a while since I've been on. It's good to be back. I mean, Capcom's beat 'em up ring. What what you guys can't see is that me and Rob have actually broken out magic cards <laughs> yes. between the breaks. I'm playing new stuff. I'm playing a Return to Ravnica, uh, an Azorius deck, and he's playing I don't actually know yet. Uh, he hasn't had his turn. Uh, I have not I have not collected any modern cards. I started playing back when magic started. Which means yes, I'm giving you a hint as to how old I am. Which means he's either going to suck or he's going to completely destroy me. The last time we played, I completely destroyed you. Yeah, I remember that pretty well. Uh, <laughs> people in the stream actually and on Twitter if you're, if you're playing uh, the new Return to Ravnica sets which guilds are you playing uh, trying to find out what other people guilds? I know what are these guilds well in Ravnica there are different guilds There's like, I know I think it's like 15 oh okay <laughs> you do know I, I, was be, I was doing the old foggy bit oh I see for those playing along at home spoiling well, my turn to Ravnica spoiling of course my you know for those playing at home Ravnica split into 15 different guilds each with different colour combinations and play styles Azurius I play which is white blue and it uses detain an ability which means that your opponents can't activate abilities attack or defend until your next turn uh, basically, I block out completely everyone. And apparently, Rakdos is the popular one. But Rakdos' ability is NAF. Uh, things, the Rakdos guild, their ability is Unleash, which means that you can put creatures into play with a plus one, plus one token, but they can't ever block. And I'm like, why would... But you annihilate your own defense. And people are like, no, no, Rakdos is the best one. Rakdos is so fun. The Lord of Rights is a great card. I'm like, yeah, he is, but everything else is terrible. No one fails like Gaston. No one fla- uh, Rakdos. No one flails like, like Rakdos. No one martyrs all their own defense like Rakdos. And with the, with the leash, you're not intimidating. What a bunch of fail. It's Rakdos. Uh, Thank you for that. Harry. No problem. Beauty and the Beast has actually been re-released. That was possibly the nerdiest it. song we've ever had. I'm using a dice box as a tea coaster. It's nerdy in here. And next up is Miracle of Sound, even. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Oh, this section's so geeky. It's beautiful. Uh, this is where you come for your weekly injection of geek to try and keep you topped up. If you're at work and you can't do many games, like me, I'm just kind of on World of Warcraft at the moment. Yes. Uh, next up, though, we do have an interview with people, uh, Persona 4. Yes, we have an interview with Naozook and Jack Nida of NIS America. We're talking about Persona 4 the Golden, which is the re-release version of Persona 4, with loads of new additional content. Additional not silver characters. or bronze, but golden. I know. Uh, I'll not fanboy here about what's in it because it's all in the interview so uh, enjoy uh, this is the Geek Show interview with, you with now Zook and uh, Jack Nida I hope I pronounced that correctly yes yeah. you did <laughs> Zook is a fantastic surname by the way <laughs> very rare it is a rare <laughs> brilliant uh, and you're both here at MCM Expo uh, having a brilliant looking booth with comfy cushions uh, for Persona 4 The Golden. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> so tempting to just fall asleep on it. <laughs> it must be nice having someone to just crash for a while. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of standing that's going on here. Uh, let's see. So Persona 4 The Golden, uh, like Persona 3 Fez, basically takes Persona 4 and adds a lot of new content to it. Uh, let's see. I think it's coming out in February over here? Or uh, yes, in Europe. February. Uh, PS Vita. Uh, are you aware that a lot of the people who are looking forward to Persona 4 for the, uh, the Golden are just kind of getting a Vita for this game specifically? Because I know a lot of people haven't gotten it yet, but like, oh, so this is coming out. I must buy this console now. Yes, I. Uh, there's so many people try out the game here at the London Expo, and I've heard more than probably five people or ten people say like oh I gotta buy PS Vita now <laughs> I'm one so of it them is, yeah, it is, you know. 
yeah, like we are glad to hear that. Uh, it's been a long time since Persona 4 came out. It was on the PS2 as well, so it's like it's quite a few years. I mean, I think PS3 was out, but just barely, and then that's a lot of research and went, actually, if you do the PS2, people still own those, so that would be good. Uh, there's a, definitely new characters, new stories, new events, hmm. uh, also new personas. Ah, cool. So even if you play the PS2 version, uh, all the Persona fans will definitely enjoy hmm. the new system. I mean, and then new characters. Oh, yeah. It was interesting uh, playing it at a booth because it's like, Persona 4 is a long game. It's not really booth-friendly. Right. But it seems like from the very beginning, there's, like, new content with the, uh-huh. the new social link that's been advertised here, who I only know as the unfriendly-looking girl at this point. <laughs> She'll have a name, but probably later in the plot. Yes. <laughs> you, you will definitely get to know her. <laughs> oh, man, it's... So for fans of the original Persona 4, what do they have to look forward to in this uh, in this next um, installment? Well, definitely it's on PS Vita, mm-hmm. so it's a handheld, mm-hmm. so they can you know take the Persona 4 anywhere they go, mm-hmm. and it also uh, there will be networking uh, system mm-hmm. to it too. So it's definitely a new system to you know for the PS Vita. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Also, the graphic itself. Mm. Looks really, really good on PS Vita. Oh yeah, it does. Yes. I played it uh, just over there a moment ago now, and it's it's really crisp and clear. Uh-huh. The animated cutscenes are yeah. oh, fantastic amazing. still. Yeah, there was kind of fear of loss for that, and like the individual, um, what is it, the like the avatar arts that comes uh-huh. on when someone's talking uh-huh. is still yeah. completely crisp. It's it's great to have that on even a handheld at this point. It's yeah, great to them very far. And also the music, it's really pop and really like oh, yeah, makes that whole uh, experience better. Mm. One of the uh, only RPGs out right now for uh, PlayStation Vita because as far as I know, if it's like a RPG or strategy RPG, it's only Disgaea and uh, Persona that's really out for the PlayStation Vita right now. So if you're if you're a fan of like the RPG genre, I think it would be like a good title to sort of try it out on the Vita if you have the console. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, Persona 4 for me is like a, the great epitome of how what a role-playing game should be. It's yeah. a great RPG because it has like interaction elements and you make your character talk to people uh-huh. and it actually crosses over with the combat and makes some use of it. Yeah. So, yeah, again, for RPG lovers, Persona always has been like my main recommendation. Oh yes, uh, one thing that a lot of people ask me, in the UK, will there be a release of Teddy plushies? <laughs> I know a lot of friends who would want one. You know what? I want it too. It's so cute, right? Exactly. And there was one on the bar in Catherine, and it was like, ah, that would be the design. Yes. Um, Teddy Prashi. Well, I hope we can, you know, make make it sometime. But <laughs> uh, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, but make... I think, uh, you know, if you guys going to have a little petition for it, I will be one of them too. Like, I would definitely <laughs> vote for it. Well, we should get a Twitter campaign going. Yes. <laughs> definitely a thing. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Ricky Pitcher. You can back my comic Burn on Kickstarter. You're listening to The Geek Show. Yes, and for people who are remembering what was happening there with the competition, that song from Miracle of Sound, who we have interviewed, check it out on the website, uh, hints at it is a Borderlands 2 giveaway. Uh, 2K have basically given us a, v- a lot of stuff. A lot. I'm so grateful. So many things. Uh, this many, w- many, many. Yes, this week's prize giveaway will be a Borderlands 2 t shirt, a Borderlands 2 massive military style duffel bag, a Borderlands 2 art and design uh, 
book, book, which is only available with the special edition. Yeah, normally that comes with like the specials. Uh, a a clap TP, uh, tiny interplanetary to, CL4 TP. C, uh, CL4P TP. Yeah. Uh, interpla- interplanetary assassin uh, toy. And the Borderlands 2 trop t- top trump set where you face off guns against guns. Yes. Uh, and it's the guns, guns, guns edition, literally. We may throw in a couple of extra bits as well. We'll see how nice you are to us. Yeah. But basically, this week's uh, prize giveaway is completely Borderlands themed. Uh, loads of Borderlands goodies there. So if you've enjoyed Borderlands 2, why not show it off by winning some free things to show it off with? Yes. The bag is also, it's literally gigantic. Uh, I will not be unwrapping it and sending it to you in the bag, but it's still going to be in the cellophane. And then so there's like a bag in a bag, so it's going to feel weird. But hey, it's all fresh and pristine and new. Are we going meta again? A little bit. A little bit. Uh, But yes. Anyway. To win these fabulous goodies, we're actually changing the system a bit this week. Yes. Uh, Because of the number of people that listen via download and read the website but aren't available during the regular program. And also tune in for the repeats on Wednesdays as well. repeats on Wednesdays. Um, Uh, Basically, this week what happens is we are going to ask you a question and to win, all you have to do is answer that question and send the answer in to studio at thegeekshow.co.uk along with your name and address uh, and t-shirt size. We've got multiple t-shirts. want to try and get one that's relevant to you. And basically, we are going to put the... There's a post that will go up automatically on the blog uh, at 7.30 on the website, which has the full details, again, of the competition. The competition is open until next week's show. You have a whole week to get the answers into us. Uh, Submissions will be accepted on this show and during the next show and all the days in between. So there's no chance of you missing out on this. Uh, The question for you to answer in order to win all these Borderlands goodies is... In the game Borderlands 2, you can play, you can kick ass, and you can melt faces as one of four characters. Salvador, Ma- uh, Maya, Axton, and who? Who is the fourth character you can play as in Borderlands 2? Salvador, Maya, Axton, and someone else. Yes. Question mark. If this was blankly blank, you'd say blank. And but blank. neither of us is Terry Wogan, so that won't work. How bad would you feel if it turns out the extra character's name was actually blank and you didn't know? I wouldn't feel bad at all. Yeah, we'd probably laugh it off. But no, it's not blank. It's similar to blank, if you want to hint there. Uh, and either spelling is, it is blanker? fine. Is he moved from Street Fighter and has he got himself guns along with his electricity? You can't win the competition. Stop making guesses. Aww. <laughs> but yeah, send it in. No, I want that duffel bag. <laughs> I know. I want it too, right? My bag's breaking apart. You've seen me come in with it. It's being held together with a belt. It's Let- true. It-, it broke apart. Harry makes bags out of belts. No, I had to fix it. With, basically, I got off the bus and I, had, I went by a mega bus because uh, I'm classy. And I was way down with so many prizes. My bag, literally, the strap tore straight off. And so it's being held on with a, a belt right now because I've been so busy. I haven't been able to sew it. Yeah, I have a sewing machine. Deal with it. I'm a manly man. Uh, so that is our competition. Feel free to enter. Tell us who the fourth character in Borderlands 2 is. Because you're a manly man. Hell yeah, doing manly man-men things, like manly board games. Like baking. (laughs) Baking is damn manly. You set things on fire and then eat them with your man face. Totally manly. Movie Bob does it. You need the dough with your man hands. (laughs) Need the dough with your man hands. This is... Are yes. we referencing Epic Meal Time? Probably. Uh, a refer- referencing Shining Hearts again. Oh, I, I see what you're doing. Okay. <laughs> anyway, back to MCM. Oh, God. Yes. Jeebus. Uh, oh, my Where were we? Uh, prize announcements. Rooster Teeth. Indie Games. 
Yes, uh, basically Rooster Teeth were there, which... Interesting facts about Rooster Teeth, I did not know. They created Red vs. Blue, I, I was aware of that, that's how their claim to fame is. But I was not aware that they actually got contracted by Bungie to write Halo ODST, uh, and the other one, which fails my memory because I'm not a massive Halo fan. And so... That explains to you why that thing has such good reviews. And it's like, hmm. oh, they hired writers for their shooty, shooty, spacey, spacey game. Always a good idea. Yeah, exactly. Put a story in there mm. made by writers. Yeah. <laughs> it's, one of the, you know, it's one of the weird things. It's why mm-hmm. you never ask programmers to design something. Hey. No, seriously, you never ask programmers to design something. You're kind of half and half, Harry. You're like, you know, you're like the milk that the dude drinks. Story of my <laughs> life. Wait, what? You're like, uh, uh, have you not heard of the American milk called Half and Half? No. Yeah, uh, well, if you go into my mal profile, you'll see a picture of the dude with a carton of Half and Half. Oh, is that the, the Archeon logo that you don't yes. use? Okay. It's a why picture by it? the wonderful artist called why, Eric, Eric why Rose. Why is it the milk that the dude drinks? I don't know. But, but he likes Half and Half. Boys have cereal, men have tea, and white hot chocolates. By He's a manly man who doesn't drink any of that. He drinks white Russians. Drinks white Russians yes. with like a straw. Yes. How do you Sometimes. liquefy a human and then? I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, and fit them in a, sm- in a glass that small. I have no idea. There's something quantum going on there. I'm I'm worried about the things you watch now, Rob. It seems more like torture porn than actual anime. It's, it's not anime. What? Oh, it's manga the Big in- Lebowski. Oh, by the Coen Brothers. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm 21. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, Harry's showing his age. Oh my. God. When do I ever not show my lack of age? Seriously. Yes, lack of, lack of. Anyway, where were we? We were talking, oh, yeah, we about, were talking about writers. Blimmin' Expo, <laughs> yes. weren't we? Smaller MMOs. Ah, yes, there's a lot of small MMOs that go there. Thank you for the prompt. Uh, as you remember, the other year we had like Wakfu and Dofu. Yes. Uh, Dofus or Dofu. 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 Dofu and Wakfu. Uh, the, create, the French creators of which were there shilling their wares. And it's interesting that so many small MMOs... Uh, are you laughing at the way I was doing shilling their wares? Yes. They shill their wares to the expo floor, these makers of small-time MMOs. Trying to I'm get... playing a small MMO right now called Call of Gods. It's actually not bad. Ah, cool. Wait, is that the Facebook one? or the? Uh, you, it links to Facebook, but you can play it as just as a normal browser game. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm still currently stuck in Mr. Pandaria. Uh, I've, I've With reached the pandas. Like... Yeah, I've reached like the pre-raid uh, endgame, uh, and it's really good. And I got exalted with the tillers at last. I can play Walvis Moon. Uh, there's a lot of jokes going around that basically uh, Mr. Pandaria has included a lot of content, which is from other games. Like you could do pet battles, which is definitely Pokemon. They have three moves. You have to replace one with another in order to have them all. You can th- capture wild things if you I fight ha- them. I have a question. Does anyone else think Blizzard are running out of ideas? No, I think it's more that... Well, basically, here's the thing. Like I was saying the other episode, is that Burning Crusade is a, you know... Sorry, Nick's quoting you. Baking is manly. You set things on fire and eat them with your manly fists. Yeah. You chew them with your man teeth. And then you have milk, any kind of milk, so you have calcium to make your man teeth even manlier, man. Deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> Please, where is that webcam? <laughs> This Someone bring me a webcam. <laughs> I think I would just thinking, the look at your face. <laughs> I think this ties into my. I've got my next Edinburgh show planned, and I think it's tying in too much. It's called Beta Mail, and it's about this kind of stuff. Right. So, 
Sorry. We, we run smaller MMOs and small talk your games. MMOs, yes. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Uh, okay, basically, yeah, a lot of small-time MMOs, not large ones, go to MCM mm. Expo, which is curious because in like the comics section, there is like DC, Marvel, and uh, 2000 AD all have sellers. Uh, they're not usually artists, but they're sellers yeah. of you know the various brands because they go, geeks are here, geeks like comics, let us provide said thing. Uh, but with like Blizzard, never go. Uh, you know, none of the major companies ever go for like MMO purposes. Yeah. Partly because I think Blizzard try to maintain their user base by just being Blizzard, uh, which has worked out pretty well for them. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of small-time MMOs there, which is interesting. You can actually find a lot of good free-to-play ones going on, or at least like uh, one payment only. I wish Guild Wars had a thing there. I've never seen Guild Wars have a thing. But I suppose the, the downside of like a massive MMO like that is unlike Wakfu and Dofu, where you can like get a grasp of the combat, Guild Wars would involve like more of the story. Yeah. Uh, what about the Tokyo games, though? I mean, you said there was Tokyo games there. Oh, yeah, the people are able to talk about their games. Ah, I mean. right. Okay. Uh, there's not like conversation-based games, which would be fun. I think. See, that would be amazing if you could actually have proper conversation-based games. True, it would be great. I mean, I don't think uh, Deus Ex: Human Revolution had a kind of thing. Yeah, but it's still quite limited. Oh, if you want, if you want like talking input, there was a game, Tom Clancy's something War, Total Warfare, or something. Uh, future War Ops Rainbow. Yeah, some Future com- Rainbow War o- Operation. Some combination of thing. the JRPG book of cool words to slot into things. Yes. And basically, it had an advertisement which had very low ability to see the graphics of the game because it was all redded over and had lightning on it because lightning is cool. Uh, and it was just kind of saying you control troops in real time with voice commands. It had three reviews. Uh, all of, of which slated it. Of, un, no, all of the three views that were good for it. Uh, of publication that's clearly indie, publication they clearly own, and the Daily Star. And for Because the know, Daily Star is the epitome of quality games reviewing. Exactly. The Daily Star isn't even a newspaper. For those outside the UK, basically it advertises ladies who need money. We no, 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 no. It advertises, it advertises things to help you enlarge other things. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah, it's considered. Let's not go there. Let's not go there. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, we so have I an interview. I interviewed the guys uh, from Mediatonic who created the game Foul Play. Foul Play. Uh, I'll let him describe it. Of course, I'll let uh, uh, them talk about their own game. But it was really fun to play. I love the combat. I'm looking forward to its explore release. Uh, looking to get Steam maybe in the future if it's successful, but there's no plans at the moment. Help it be successful. I want to have it on Steam so I can play it with people like online via Steam. Uh, but yes, here is Mediatonic uh, on Foul Play. This is the Geek Show interview with Jeff Tanson of Mediatonic. Hello. Hello, how you doing? Uh, good, knackered, uh, but good. How about you? I'm alright. It was a slightly heavy last night, I think it's fair to say, but I'm feeling okay. Uh, yes, you are here promoting Foul Play, which is a, a brilliant looking. Is it, is it an Xbox Live Arcade title? It's going to be an XBLA title, yeah. Um, released uh, either late in quarter one next year or early quarter two. Cool. Uh, how would you describe Foul Play other than just adorable and awesome? <laughs> so, well, Foul Play um, is the life story, essentially, of a demonologist, a Victorian demonologist, Baron Dashforth. Um, 
who uh, has been spending his whole life fighting demons, doing incredible things. He's like James Bond meets Baron Munchausen. And for reasons entirely of his own, no one can quite understand why, he's decided to tell his life story via a spectacular stage show. Um, so as the player, you kind of like step into the shoes of Baron Dashforth on the, the one and only opening night. Um, player two can step in as his erstwhile uh, sidekick, Scampwick, the chimney sweep. And um, you play out uh, his incredible adventures where he's fighting demons, saving the world on a regular basis, and, uh, and hopefully finding out just what Baron Dashworth is actually up to with this whole theatre business. From the moment I started playing it, it was like, there's a great appreciation for the little things. There's so much details around, like, the massive box-labeled fan mail in the back <laughs> of the room not being too smug for Mr. Dashforth. And, like, the fact that, oh, the chimney sweep has, like, a sweep as a weapon, yeah. but holds it like a ninja. It's, it's, I mean, it's really lovely that you kind of you notice those things. I think, like, certainly the art team, the animation team, everyone involved in the project um, kind of puts those things in just out of, like, pure love. I mean, when Mediatonic approach a project, it's really... Um, we, we know we've got a strong art style, we've got some really talented animators, um, but really narrative especially has to like drive what we're doing. We wouldn't be happy to just make a game for the sake of it. We'd really want to be able to tell a story that kind of players can get into, um, and the whole team can kind of buy into that. So, you know, when um, Adam Walker, the artist, like draws... Uh, like a little bit of fan mail in the background that's not because we've had a conversation I've told him expressly to do that it's because he totally understands what Baron Dashworth is about you know and then so I come along and see it's like oh it's wonderful of course you have that you know oh yeah I mean, the animation is fluid and lovely and like, like you said the narrative goes into it well so like bodies don't despawn because they're actors <laughs> bodies will either be pulled off by the canes off stage <laughs> swept off like a really difficult problem which you weren't expecting because we're so used to like side-scrolling beat-em-ups of you know uh, the enemies disappearing in a hail of blood and, and limbs <laughs> Or, or just like flashing and disappearing off of the screen and we realise well, you can't do that on stage we're, we're keeping the fiction right so initial builds of foul play just had like a horrible body count of like guys just like just remaining on stage every time we'd have a big fight so yeah we had to like work out nice neat narrative ways so at the moment like as you saw if guys kind of fall at the side of the screen they awkwardly pull themselves off and we like to imagine they're literally running around backstage and coming back on again and playing the same characters kind of thing so it's really kind of like fun stuff to, to kind of play with I love the idea of it. It's not about health. It's not about living because they're all actors. It's about being as impressive for the audience as possible Absolutely. and getting like the moodometer up to magnificence. <laughs> well, I mean, we have a main character called Baron Dashforth, and it's just like, well, he has to be amazing, you know? Like it has to be about. Um, he, he's quite a direct. He's quite a direct man, you know. If a demon needs to be defeated, he'd probably just go up and hit it until it like went down, and, and suddenly he's in a situation where it's like the audience uh, are calling the shots the audience want to see particular things you know and like we have quite fun with the narrative as we go through of, like Dashwood like learning the trade you know um, I think you would have seen like a, a small orphan child start yes. screaming out at him halfway through and saying like no Dashwood I want to see this you know you should totally do this uh, when it's released I'm looking forward to people doing that because it's it's so characterful it's like that bit you just mentioned Ah, oh, I won't spoil much dialogue for people, but for that point it is the first time you see a big enemy. And uh, Dashwood says to Scamberg, remember what I told you about the big enemy, Scamberg? He says, kick him in the nad, sir? Yes, exactly. <laughs> this level of, I'm a gentleman and would not, but you, Scamberg, need to. <laughs> yeah. I might have different ways of doing this, Scamberg, but you should probably aim for the crotch on this particular, <laughs> particular venture. Are there any particular points of the game that uh, you're looking forward to people getting to, like particular scenes, or is it just dialogue or is, enemies? I mean, I'm really looking forward to the, the reveal, um, the kind of like the, the third act reveal kind of thing where people realise what it is that Dashworth's actually doing. Um, 
the reaction to that like it's just ba- basically making it work I think like as Mediatonic we, we started off making um, flash games um, and then games for mobile devices and we have like we, 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 and we still do make a huge range of games um, but I think this is like the first time we've begin with such a, a length of time to take and tell like a really like long narrative and have the chance to really draw people in like the length of uh, like a stem and XBLA title it allows us to like really spend time kind of putting all the foundations down and then like having a twist and telling a story so it's really exciting as you see you know you mentioned the animation um some of the some of the the, the later bosses are fantastic. Uh, one of the favourites is the the fabled bearicorn, um, nature's cruelest mistake. Um, it has all of <laughs> all of the might of a bear and the legendary rage of a unicorn um, combined into one animal. Uh, you find that in the uh, the London Docklands. It's it's in a quarantined animal warehouse. Uh, so yeah, I'm, re- I'm actually looking forward to uh, people's reaction to, to a lot of the bosses in the game. Uh, absolutely beautiful. Um, <laughs> thanks very much for speaking to me. No, thank you very much. Hi, I'm Nigel from My Matter. Uh, My Matter is an original anime-inspired clothing brand, and you're listening to The Geek Show. And yes, welcome back. Uh, that was some pink from her album, The Truth About Love, which is a great album. Uh, I bought that along with uh, her greatest hits, dot, 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 so far, exclamation marks. Uh, both good things. Yes. Also, for those keeping track on the magic game, uh, Rob, Rob completely trounced me. Although, in my defense, I'm playing a standard deck with only Return to Ravnica cards. It's Azorius. Uh, oh, and Whereas I'm playing some wibbly cards which get, make my creatures stupidly powerful at the turn of a card. Yeah, and some of them actually have white borders, which is, you know, that isn't um, modern either. That's vintage. <laughs> and, you know, modern is the standard fun format. Vintage is the anything-goes-doom format. Yes. I told you. I started playing. I know, I know. I'm just saying to people, you know, I didn't lose because of a lack of skill. I, your cards <laughs> are... You, you have skill, obviously, and your cards are very impressive. Yes. But yes, and I mana And for those like of hell. you who want who want a nice little interesting combination, uh, Rancor and any other green enchantments, and a nice little card from Macadian Masks. It was a common called Ancestral Mask. If you're watching this on the download, feel free to go back and then play that again, and then use uh, the Gatherer to find out what those things mean. But and if if you don't know magic, sorry, we're breaking from that section yeah. now. Ancestral Mask gives your creature two two for every other enchantment in play. Mm-hmm. And you can have four of them in a deck. But and they stack. <laughs> but back to MCMX. Yes, Artist Sally. Yes, basically the Artist Sally is the section, uh, and it's getting more sectiony every time, uh, wherein it's only artists. It's kind of like a, being in a market day, to be honest. Given the number of like single tables with an artist on it, and like table, 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 and you go down these really long aisles, uh, and basically. Some of them are talking to people. Some of them are just kind of presenting themselves, like Destiny Blue. With she has a massive archway she brings out now with all her artwork on it to try and lure people. And some of them. Where's just... the soap? Hmm? Where's the soap? Destiny Blue, revenge soap. Revenge soap. That's what she's famous for as well as her artwork. Hmm? You know, Destiny Blue sells all sorts of nice little soaps and little. Oh, revenge things. soap. Yes. They said revenge sub. No, revenge. I thought soap. you meant like some kind of submarine drama. No, like revenge soap. I was going to say, oh, he's labelling Stingray characters. I don't know. Captain Scarlet. <laughs> he's indestructible, except that he's a puppet and can easily melt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's got revenge soap as well, which is uh, really cute soaps. They've yes. got adorable little people on them. Uh, 
fanboy down. Yes. Professional in. Yes. Uh, anyway. And, uh, and yeah, there's other people that basically do the whole kind of pound of bears thing of like shilling their wares at people. Uh, particularly people who are like new or have a Kickstarter or Indiegogo trying to go just to get their manga out there who only exist online, which I kind of feel sorry for because it must be difficult selling to people without a physical copy of anything. Yeah. Um, I mean, you did get a couple of good interviews, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got Luke a... Sell and Burn. Yes. Uh, Ricky Marcel Pitcher, who's the author of Burn, which is a hyper-violent uh, satire on uh, current working conditions, basically set in a future wherein everyone's so stressed from work that they can turn into psychopaths, just kind of snap immediately. But because that happens so much now that people turn into burners like that, it's just kind of mundane. There's a great scene early on with a bank robbery where... Uh, I say it in the interview, but basically, yeah, someone is holding a bank robbery and there's a guy who's like, oh my God, I'm going to be late. What if I get fired? They just don't really care. There's a, oh my mass, God. There's a crazy lady with a gun going, oh my God, oh my God, got to be fired. Uh, Not in that voice, though. Some lumpy space princess, if you wanted that. Shall we play the Burn uh, interview? Well, there's also a Luke Searle interview. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Sir, Luke yes. Searle, who specializes in puns and one skate comics. And basically, the interesting thing about Luke Searle is that his most recent book, Improbable Consequences, was published by Monochrome Bear Media, which is a brand new indie publishing company set up by Matt Dyson, who we interviewed the last interview with, with Ricky Marcel for having uh, for his uh, comic Moo and Kyo, Cute and Silly Fun. And so now he's self-published under a publishing company he himself has created, and now he's got people like Luke Serlin to publish with. Ah. So Sorry about that. We had a slight technical difficulty in the background there. Mm -hmm. Called you being preemptive on the button clicking. Let me do my talking. How far into it are we? Uh, oh, 7.35. The competition uh, post will automatically put on the blog now, hopefully. Uh, but yes, I'm all, all up for going into uh, the interviews with Luke Searle and uh, Ricky Marcel Pitcher creators of um, LukeSoul.com and Burn, the uh, violent comic. Oh, this is the Geek Show interview with Luke Searle. How are you? I am okay. I'm a little tired. It's getting towards the end of the weekend. You have comics and postcards and all kinds of things. How do you describe the things that you make? Well, I mean, I'm probably one of these people who you might not describe as a comic artist. You're being really technical about it. I do what you might describe as cartoons or single-panel comics, mostly. So... I have a whole load of postcards out on my table right now, um, and there's no connection between any of them. There's no characters, no continuity. I make cheap gags. Um, this, this one here, I'm making Lord of the Rings gag. I've got some maths jokes here. In fact, I have a whole book about maths jokes. And, uh, yeah, so single panel, single panel comics is what I do. And I had somebody come up to me and say, are you the guy who did the book full of bad jokes? And... Um, I went, yes, yes, that's me. So that, that is me. Bad you say cheap jokes, but you look like a lord of puns, to be honest, from looking through them. There's some brilliant stonker puns right now. Yeah. Thank you. Well, the thing is, a terrible pun is a good pun at the same time. They're kind of, it's, it goes around as sort of like a whole circle and tweaks at the bottom. Oh, yes, the, so. the genuinely witty, the funny, and then the groaners, and then yeah, it kind of circles I, back. I think people leave my table laughing and also wanting to kill me at the same time. I think it's a good groaner is very fun. It's still noise that people are making. I mean, do you enjoy listening to people groan much or is it, are you hoping for laughter? Well, I'd like that. I mean, one, one of these things is um, I usually, I consider myself primary medium is the internet, but you don't really get to hear people on the internet. Uh, so the, the great thing about doing this is I get to uh, see people actually react to reading and seeing the cartoons, which makes it a little bit Kind of makes it worthwhile in a way. It's uh, in the great scheme of things. 
And I believe that unlike the postcards and the other gorgeous little things in front of us here, and badges, uh, your book, Improbable Consequences, uh, which is a random title for a random series of things, was not actually drawn by you. Is that correct? No, no this, is, uh, this came out this weekend, uh, published by Monaco and Bear Media. It's, I wrote it, and uh, this guy, Luke Healy, because Luke is the best name, and I'll only work with people called Luke, uh, he drew it, and... It's come out really well. I'm, I actually, the first time I saw it was 24 hours ago in printed form, and I'm really happy with how it came out. And it's, uh, yeah, it was a new thing, um, writing down ideas and uh, getting that into something that somebody else could do. But I'm, I might do more of it because it's come out so well. Was it a very different approach, attacking a, tackling a book rather than a series of random things, or was it pretty much the same idea since they're disconnected? Similarly, the book is full of um, unconnected uh, single-panel jokes, uh, and I've also split it up into postcards as well for sale here today. Uh, but what, what was different is knowing that I, I have to describe every detail that I want, and then it went back and we did revisions and we worked together on it. So I, not only sort of I wrote it, I also feel like I edited it as well. It's... Uh, it's a very different experience, but it was really fun to do, and it's kind of the future, maybe, of Lucio Comics. Ah. Excellent. We'll look forward to more collaborations in the future. Are your things available to see freely online? I have a website called LukeSurl.com, and it's Surl spelled S-U-R-L, and it's very exciting. I try and get something new up there three times a week, and I'll also be selling um, all the things that I've talked about here online uh, as well, as of the 1st of November. Sweet. If I get my act together and make an online store. I'm also on Twitter at @LukeSurl, where I make similar jokes and I'm quite insufferable. And sometimes <laughs> a joke, a, a pun I make on Twitter, uh, I'll later turn into something visual that works as well. Thank you very much for talking to me. Good. It's an interview with Ricky Marcel Pitcher, the author of the rather violent comic uh, Burn, which is it's interesting. I read it last night. It seems to be very. Uh, Aggressive in its kind of topic discussion. I mean, how do you describe the plot of Burn? Burn is set in an apocalyptic future where everyone is super stressed and super um, under pressure at their jobs. I want to do a comic where we had a dystopian future, but it wasn't brought about by an apocalyptic event or a political change. It's just that the stress of everyday life now got increased exponentially. So that's why there's a lot of people in the comic who are just like... Random acts of violence. They're still a bad thing, obviously. But people are kind of like, oh, not this again. The stress of the day. That is exactly what I was going for. Acts, acts of extreme violence become so commonplace that people aren't shocked by them anymore. They're still bad. They're still police stopping people doing it. But commuters are rushing to work. They'll happily step over a dead body in the street and not be surprised by it. So the first issue is available online now in PDF. It can be downloaded as well as read. And you have a Kickstarter coming up, I believe. That's exactly right. Kickstarter goes live in the UK on Wednesday the 31st. My project will be one of the first, or the joint first, UK comics to go up. That's why I'm here at the MCM pushing it, and I'm really happy. Cool. The artist, if you want to plug him, is an amazing Spanish artist called Carlos Trigo, and he'll hopefully be drawing the rest if we get the Kickstarter project off the ground. Fantastic. I love his styles. Everything's black and white and very clear and very uh, monochromatic and dull, but then there's like of violence and everything's really red and there's like some calming points and everything's really blue and it's it's great it's a very artistic thing the thing of going you can read this without speech bubbles as you were saying earlier it's very much a you can probably just tell what's happening from intent from like the character the caricature of faces and uh, the very blatant actions 
sir. It's exactly what I was going for. It's uh, a violent comic, but I like to think it's for everyone. It has uh, substance to it as well as the violence. So if you just like violent comics, it's for you. If you like comics looking at uh, social themes and uh, things like things of that nature, then yes. That's a long list. I won't go into it now. I can give a really long list, but yeah, that's, that's what it's got. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, it seems like there's two stories going on presently from Volume 1. There's the story of the... Uh, the office worker turned burner, and burners are the people who sometimes snapped and are now on a, a bit of a crazy spree. And there's the other story of like the people who stopped the burners, who are equally quite violent, in my opinion. Uh, exactly. I wanted to have a split narrative structure where you're not really sure who you're supposed to be supporting. A bit like in Game of Thrones, say. Uh, so you've got uh, the psychopath, who would normally be the villain of the piece, and then you've got the dedicated police squad who go after them and you're getting both of their points of view, both sides of the story, and you're sort of wondering, who should I be rooting for here? Mm. Where are you wanting to uh, take the story from these characters later in the future? Will there be more groups, or will it just be like the, the head face-off between these two suddenly increasing in scale? The whole graphic novel will follow these two storylines as the major characters, and then we're going to come across other people in similar situations, see how they deal with similar events, and... Um, Part of the theme is, uh, when someone becomes a burner, they go crazy and they fight in society. Everything they do, everyone they touch, has a rippling out effect. So earlier we talked about the bank robbery. You can see some of those characters come back. That's actually covered in the preview a little bit. So at the end of chapter one, there's a preview of what's to come. Uh, you see what they do. And the whole point is that the, the burn squad, as they're, they're colloquially known, who track down the burners, they're understaffed, undermanned, and they're not taking care of the problem quickly enough, and it's rippling out across society. Ah, that explains the whole the scene with the uh, the higher-up who's like, it's great that you kind of want to help these people, but you need to do this quicker. You can't help them quickly. You can kill them quickly. I've sort of gone for a little bit of a joke there, because, I mean, you might not have thought this was a comedy up to this point, but uh, quite often in, in cop films, particularly 80s cop films, you'll see they'll go in, the, the police will go into their boss's office, they'll be wearing uh, red braces and a white shirt, and he will scream at them, I'm getting heat from City Hall here. I want you to stop shooting people and use your damn police skills. We go for the exact opposite, where he says... I get in trouble when useful people die, not when you shoot up criminals. Now get up there, get out there and start killing people. And it's the exact opposite of what you'd normally see. And on that note, thank you very much. <laughs> this is the Geek thank Show you. interview with Nigel from Maya Mada. How are you? Um, I'm good, thank you. It's Maya Mada. Uh, we've interviewed you guys once before. You're selling really interesting t-shirts with nice logos, iconography and anthropomorphic animals violently attacking cake. Uh, and since then, you've had I a rather... I prefer the word methodically. I think that's a better word. Methodically destroying cake. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but since then, you've had a very successful thing on Indiegogo. Would you like to talk about that? Yeah. Um, so Indiegogo, for those that don't know, is a fundraising platform similar to Kickstarter, which I'm sure more people would have heard of. And the idea is you set a project goal and you ask kind people... Um, you're relying on the kindness of strangers to uh, help you support that goal. Uh, luckily for us, uh, there were enough strangers that were kind enough to uh, want to see our comic being released, and they've helped us reach the target. No. Yeah, fantastic. And now, uh, I find it really interesting that you've got a manga out now, because it's like, uh, with a book out. Because the whole point of my matter is it's, like it's this fictional TV station, and then the T-shirts are the merchandise. It feels odd to go like, so you've had the merchandise first, and then the stories, and now are you working backwards to a TV station really weirdly? In short, yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, it's a weird, because uh, we had a weird beginning. We wanted to do T-shirts, and from the very, very start, before we developed the brand as it is now, we kind of, like, we want to do T-shirts, we want to do T-shirts. So when we got this idea, our first, our first thought was to do T-shirts, and then when we started developing the characters, then we realised ourselves, like, actually, we've done this kind of backwards. But eventually it will, it will all come together that's that's the plan there's a there's a plan somewhere where they meet and um, we'll have comics t-shirts and all the other stuff we do oh everything's kind of working sort of backwards but it's working very well i mean the first book that's out now i believe is the samurai chef book so it's not out now it's in progress now oh, yeah. so indiegogo ended uh, a while ago and where the book is in progress now with our artists so the script's done um, it's now a matter of going through the pages so unfortunately it has been delayed slightly so it'll be early next year but if you go on our website mymatter.com um, you'll see like the details um, of the book Are people able to pre-order it from your website currently? or uh, Another short answer yes Fantastic So when the manga's out uh, how much is it looking to cost? So it, uh, at the moment we're looking for it to be about £5 um, I think based on our last quote from the printers we should be able to do it for that much Sweet. That's actually pretty cheap, considering it's like a it's a self-done thing from an indie company out here. Uh, there's some interesting differences between Mayamada and other companies. Cause there's a lot of like gamer print uh, related T-shirts around here. For one, I noticed that you kind of sushi up your T-shirts and put them into tubes. Uh, yes. Was that just a thing to look different? And I know that there's a bit of plot around them as well. Uh, what, how did that idea come around? Um, it came around from my partner Lao. Um, it was before the last MCM we did in October, and. He was eating sushi and thought this would also be a good uh, compact form for T-shirts too. So no intention to like fill it with fish or jam filling to surprise people? Oh, we did actually want to do sweets in them, but right. I, I've, you just reminded me. I totally forgot. We'll do it next time. We did want to put like Japanese sweets in them. You're reversing towards a fictional <laughs> TV station. You made T-shirts backwards <laughs> and now you'll have clothes imitating food full of sweets. Are you just... Is one of you like Mr. Topsy Turvy from the Mr. Men trying to find a job in retail? A little bit. A little bit like that. <laughs> uh, there's a whole myriad of really cool anthropomorphic characters with different series and roles uh, uh, as part of Maya Mada. Do you have any personal favourites at the moment? Um, Taishi, who is the tiger from Hot Lunch, which is a show about a team of uh, food thieves that go around Japan pulling heists on restaurants. So if you think... Ocean's Eleven, but instead of casinos, restaurants. So I like um, I like the idea of the little guy sort of going after the big guy. Oh man! So around every one of the t-shirt tubes, there's actually a little bit of a story, uh, a little comic thing. Are they all like one-shot stories that are all isolated within each other, or is it like leads into the t-shirts? There's suspense, and you have to get more <laughs> to find it all out. So those are, I guess, quick introductions to the story. So for the character t-shirts. We're putting a one-page um, manga, yeah, one-page manga, with a brief introduction to what that design relates to. For each of them, we have the second page, or if there's a third and fourth, on our website again, myamada.com. Um, but eventually, what we'll have after we do the Samurai Chef book, we'll work on the next story. So it will be a slow process. I'm a bit impatient when it comes to things like this. But eventually, we'll be bringing out more and more of manga panels on each of the shows that we have. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to seeing it all develop and expand and Me too. eventually work backwards and then yeah. radio, then television, then, then films. Yes. <laughs> if you keep working your way up in reverse order. <laughs> 
a while ago you guys were at like a film screening event. Is that a thing you're doing regularly now? Yeah, we want to. So we've got another one coming up next, no, actually in December, December 8th, um, in a new venue in London Bridge. So that'll be our third one. And I think the last time we spoke, we did one after that event as well. So that's coming December 8th. And then for next year, it's something we want to do, say like four times a year, and make it a regular a regular event that people can come to. Sweet. Uh, what do you tend to do with the film screenings? Is it like you? Is it Maya Mada presents and then a film that exists somewhere else, or how does how does it work? So we just show an anime that people might have heard before, maybe have seen, but maybe not on a big screen like this. Um, for this event, we'll be showing Lupin the Third. Oh right. Yeah. Um, so that is uh, it's an oldie but goodie, as they say. Oh yeah. Is it the is it the Cagolo, Castle of Cagliostro? That's the one. Oh cool. Uh, produced by Ghibli, I think. It was at least yes. released by Studio Ghibli. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's a seal of approval if you ever needed one. <laughs> and of course we'll have um, popcorn and um, yeah, film popcorn. What more do you need? And uh, t-shirts with possible sweets. So yeah, there we, we go. We'll bring those too. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks very much. No problem. Uh, welcome back to our coverage of MCM Expo October 2012. We yes. are running out of time. We have so many more things to do. Uh, our interview with Primeval uh, will be available on the website. We have one more interview for you guys that's special. Uh, some of you may have seen it advertised on TV. I thought it looked bombastic and fun. Uh, it is Cockneys vs. Zombies, an upcoming film with Alan Ford and... Uh, uh, Ashley Thomas, uh, aka Bashy. I've heard that this is supposed to be, that it's a really fun film as well. It it looks like so much fun, and they say it was really fun to do as well. And the yeah. lines are fantastic, and I, I just thought it looked definitely at least worth a look at for a, a, a lovely bit of fun in the Halloweeny season. Yes. That's different, you know. It's not. I, I saw Silent Hill too. To keep a very brief movie review of that one, so Rob too can have his thing. Awful. It's terrible. It is bad. Harry's one-word reviews. <laughs> everything in there that is good is directly taken from Silent Hill, and there's not enough that is directly taken from Silent Hill. Play now. Everything else, they add in a cliche romance plot from nowhere. It's, it's bad. It's a bad film. Okay? Yes. It's just a bad film. Let's focus on Cockneys vs. Zombies. Let's keep on the good things. Cockneys vs. Zombies. There are zombies invading London, and the Cockneys have to fight them off. There's two different stories, and they're beautiful. There's, like, some London youths, uh, and there's an old people's home with the best chase scene I've ever seen. Oh, my God, it's, it's a... Boba Hotep all over again. It, it, it's beautiful. <laughs> there's basically a guy who's trapped outside of the old people's home. They yell at him until he wakes up, and he turns around and goes, Oh, no, zombies, and gets a Zimmer frame. And there's a chase scene with a zombie clawing gently. A slow-walking zombie clawing at his dressing gown while he Zimmer frames to safety. It's so ludicrously funny. Uh, this is a fantastic interview. I, I loved doing it. They were both brilliant people. And I got to interview Alan Ford, who was Bricktop in uh, Snatch, which yeah. is a great film. Uh, but yes, without further ado, here we go. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself just so I know who's who? <laughs> uh, I'm Ashley. <laughs> Thomas. I'm Alan Ford and I play uh, Ray Maguire in Cockness vs. Zombies. Um, and what was it like working on the film then? It was very good. <laughs> it's a very good role in a very funny film and uh, although it was a tough gig, I enjoyed doing it. It looks like a very fun one to be on. There's a lot of I think the main word I've heard people describe it as is bombastic. It's how to describe <laughs> the trailer. Bombastic. It's everything everywhere. It, uh, yeah. Did it have that like, feeling of fun while working on some of the fun scenes as well? Or did you say it was tough? I, mean... I say it was tough because it was an early call every day and a lot of, a lot of driving to the location. 
learning lines on the way, and then it was, you know, coming home covered in blood, and then showering, getting home about nine, having a kip up in the morning, learn the lines in the car, and it was like that for three weeks for me. But Ashley and I never crossed paths. We we, we worked uh, separately. Our scenes were apart from each other, so we never actually met on the set. Yeah, like, it was cool. Um, yeah, it was a little bit hard. Like you know, just like if you got to do like, I think it's one thing if you're doing like you know like serious drama or something that's a, like quite naturalistic and stuff. But then you know if you're in like a sort of surreal world where you know there's like extra blood and there's like you know crazy gunshots and there's zombies running around. Just like some of the prosthetics, the makeup, the contact lenses, like it could get a bit, could get a bit crazy, right? Yeah, it was cool. I could tell that it was going to be good from just you know the amount of effort that everyone put in. Everyone seemed to be putting in a hundred percent, you know, from the makeup team to even, I guess, some of the supporting artists. You know, everyone like the zombies were real, like, <laughs> like you know, like they was in, they was in character, you know, and they wasn't messing about, which was good. Oh yeah, the, from the trailer, it, it looks really good. Like the zombies are fantastic at the slow walking, and the blood effects are really impressive. Yeah. Uh, was it difficult walking around that much prosthetic gore, or is it after a while you just like it's plastic, it's fine, it's rubber, it doesn't matter? Does that matter to me? No, it's just, <laughs> it's just props, isn't it? Yeah. So it, not when it, it's wet sometimes. Like, you know, <laughs> just like, <laughs> like there's a scene when I think like my character rips off a zombie's head, and it's just like blood everywhere. Ice light sticky, so it's just like yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I just thought me, I just thought it was funny. Like, I just thought the jokes were funny, the setups were good. I just enjoyed the story, you know. I had a good arc, so I was just I was into. I thought it was a good script right from the start, and I loved the the character I was asked to play. Yes. And I thought all these all these lines are actually rolling off my tongue very easily. And when I met the writer on the set on the second day of shooting. Um, I said, this is great dialogue. I said, it's like, it could be coming out of my own mouth. But it felt very much like you. Ah, well, he said, I wrote it with you in mind. <laughs> so <laughs> life doesn't get better than that, does it, really? <laughs> Ashley was with the young gang. I was with the old gang. Um, most of us known each other uh, for 30 years or more. Sure. So, um, and it, as you can see, it, you know, it was quite an athletic and quite a physical job. And uh, we're all over 70, apart from Georgina Hale. Was 69, so she's the baby on the firm. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a tough gig. I mean, Honor is, was six, uh, 85 when she was making it, oh. and Richard Bryars is almost 80, and the rest of us all in our 70s. So yeah, it was, a, it was, you know, oh. it was a tough gig. It was a tough gig. Uh, what do you think about your characters? I think my character's dark. Mine's sort of like the very. He had the serious tone throughout the movie, and yeah, I think. <laughs> He's just like the dark, and he's just the darkest character. He should be in a fucking nut house. He should be banged up, this guy. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think that just describes him. <laughs> in a zombie apocalypse, what would be your weapon of choice? Oh, my shotgun, actually, would be the, the weapon of choice. Um, I think it was very powerful. I don't... No, I was quite jealous of of Alan's machine gun, actually. Yeah. I think that might have been better than my gun. I, uh, an American uh, M16 rifle with a grenade launcher attachment underneath. Yeah. I he think blow the f***ing heads right off. <laughs> I think that would... Yeah. Because he was in the circle and... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the yeah, better one. 
really goes. Because yeah. you seem quite attached to it in the film. And hopefully I did get very attached to it, yeah. <laughs> he didn't like letting it go in the evening. <laughs> <laughs> didn't like giving they, they, it back. They I didn't, didn't want to give it back. They didn't let you keep it after the film was done. No. <laughs> they were real, by the way. They were real. <laughs> yeah. It's true, they were yeah, real they guns. Were real guns. They were real guns. They weren't, like, stunt. That was, a real, that was a real M16. Yeah. With a grenade launcher. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you very much. Hope you got nice what you wanted. Definitely. Nice talking to you. Looking Thank forward you. To this. And we are back in the last section. Alan Ford is so cockney, it's scary. I know, I know. He was saying, uh, I don't know if it got into there, but it'll be in the full version, uh, how he gets to play a northerner in an upcoming film. He's like, that's a nice change. Uh, he's so cockney, and he's, he's so professional, so charming, and he loves his job. Uh, <laughs> we got a great soundbite from him, I'm looking forward to using, where he just kind of talks about cockneys versus zombies a bit, it took him up the Thames, and how he got to make out with Honor Blackman. Who, <laughs> yeah, so Bricktop. Honor Blackman, to, as yeah, in. Pussy Galore. Yeah. <laughs> so Bricktop got to make out with Pussy Galore. And he just sounded so hilariously proud of the whole thing. I must be dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> it's some weird fanfic going on there. Someone there must, is. Someone must have written it. Ah, <laughs> oh, but that was fantastic and fun. And, uh, yes. Sean Connery spying through the window. Ah, <laughs> Miss <laughs> oh, Pussy. <laughs> uh, but yes, that is. I think we're coming to the end of our MCM special, and it's like, we are, oh god, yeah, we're really running out of time. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Again, the Borderlands, you know, the, the Borderlands competition is now on the website. I made the graphic. I think it looks quite nice. Enjoy. Uh, there's details of how to win. Just a reminder: send your emails in, and uh, yes, you too could be in the chance for winning a whole bucket of Borderlands goods and some other things if we decide to throw them in there. Uh, also, upcoming things and events and news. I got to interview this weekend John Troutman, who is, uh, or Trout, uh, at the only Trout on Twitter. He is the author of some great web comics: Mary Elizabeth Sock, Sporkman, and uh, Lit Brick, the uh, literary uh, critiquing comic of fun. And he, he was fantastic. That was about an hour long. Looking forward to putting that up on the site and uh, editing it down somehow to five for the radio. And also, we will be at Thought Bubble in two weeks' time uh, doing press things. Also at Thought Bubble will be a lot of people we mentioned today. Luke Searle will be at Thought Bubble. Uh, Matt Dyson will be at Thought Bubble. Professor Elemental, uh, his comic will be at Thought Bubble to purchase. Really? Yeah, Professor Elemental, the comic, launched in Brighton a few weeks ago. Uh, and it will be there at Thought Bubble for you to purchase. So, yes, go see all of our friends, pretty much all of them, except for Tab Kimpton, because that's a long drive. Uh, yes. I believe Jeff Bannish will be there as usual. And don't forget, the question for the competition... You have a week to answer. Send us your answers to studio at thegeekshow.co.uk. Yes. Tell us your name, address, T-shirt size, and of the four playable characters of Borderlands 2, which one is missing? Salvador, Maya, Axton, and who? Yes. We have been The Geek Show. This has been our MCM Expo special. And you have all been beautiful. Thank yes. you very much for listening. We'll see you all again next week.
For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac.